So if you would please stand with me out of love, honor, and respect of God's word as we read it together. This is Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. Let's pray together. Father, no doubt you have lovingly cared for us and even disciplined us in the course of our lives, and yet we have been oblivious to your hand. We have been uh, hardened under it at times. We pray, Father, this morning that you would help us to see your tender love for us, even in the midst of the discipline that you sometimes find necessary to work in our lives. I pray that you would help us to see our Savior Jesus Christ, to delight ourselves in him, and to give you glory as you bring change in our hearts. We pray this in Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. In 1940, the renowned author C.S. Lewis wrote a, perhaps one of his most famous nonfiction works called A Problem, uh, The Problem of Pain. And what Lewis was attempting to answer in that book uh, was this question, if God is good and all-powerful, why does he cause his creatures to suffer pain? And Lewis was uh, familiar with pain. He had lost his mother at a young age. Uh, He had lost a number of his friends over the course of his life, many of them dying in World War I. Uh, but But despite his studies, despite his experiences, nothing could prepare him for the devastating loss of his wife some 20 years later. And as he wrestled with his heart, as he wrestled with God, he, as a means of working through that, he penned some four different notebooks of his raw thoughts, his anger, his questions, his sadness. And those notebooks were collected into a book that's now called A Grief Observed. And one of those thoughts that Lewis writes in that book is this. He says, bridge players tell me that there must be some money on the game or else people won't take it seriously. Well, apparently it's like that. Your bid for God or no God, for a good God or the cosmic sadist, for eternal life or non-entity will not be serious if nothing much is staked on it. And you will never discover how serious it was until the stakes are raised horribly high, until you find that you're playing not for counters or for sixpences, but for every penny you have in the world. Nothing less will shake a man, or at least at any rate, a man like me, out of his merely verbal thinking and his merely notional beliefs. He has to be knocked silly before he comes to his senses. Only torture will bring out the truth. And beloved, as we come to this passage, Scripture is pretty clear that as the children of God, we can expect to be disciplined. And 
discipline is certainly not something that any of us wants. No amount of pain is anything that any of us wants. It's unpleasant or it's not wanted. But as we come to this passage, what we need to see is that when God brings his children through pain, when he disciplines his children, it is for his good. It is loving. It is restorative. It is purposeful. And that's, that's what we need to see here is that the Lord disciplines his children because he takes great delight in them. And he takes an active interest in them. He takes great delight in them and an active interest in them. So we've already said that in the book of Proverbs, you know, much of it is written as a father speaking to his son and, and trying to impart wisdom uh, for life. And we see that again in this passage, starting in verse 11. He says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. He speaks of not despising the Lord's discipline. Um, another word for despise there is reject. Reject. He's saying don't, don't reject it. Don't, don't despise it. Don't turn away from it. He speaks of the Lord's discipline. And when we speak of discipline, there's probably a lot of different kinds of discipline that we could talk about. We could talk about uh, instructive discipline by teaching what is right. That is a form of discipline. But primarily what I think he has in view here is corrective discipline, punitive discipline, uh, where he's uh, a chastisement of form. That would draw, drive this despising of it. But he says, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. Uh, nobody likes discipline because we think it's unjust. Proverbs elsewhere says that all, ways, all man's ways are right in his own eyes, but the Lord tests the heart. So there's an aspect of when we have to endure pain, endure suffering, we're immediately looking up at our Father and saying, what have I done? What, this confused look, why? Why me? And he says, don't, not only don't despise it, but he says, don't be weary of his reproof. Another way of translating that term weary would be, do not loathe it. Do not hate it. We would hate it if we think it's unjust. We don't deserve it. We don't want it. We become embittered to it. He says, don't do these things. And then he tells why. He says, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. It's, it's not uh, a, an action when he brings his children through this disciplinary action. It is not an act of hatred or an act of anger, but an act of his affection, an act of his love. It is, he reproves him who he loves and a son whom he delights. And so he's essentially he's saying, what we need to do is when we endure this discipline, we need to recognize it for what it is. We need to respond to it according to its intent. And we need to rest in our Father's passionate love for us. Um, so as, as we think through this really short passage, and there's a few things that we need to say right up at the beginning, and that is we need to understand that as God's children, God will discipline us. The passage simply says the Lord reproves him whom he loves. 
He doesn't say he might will. He might reprove you. He says he will reprove you. He will reprove those who he loves. It is an act of his delight. But the problem is that it's outside of our control. It's not of our making. It's not of our desiring. It's not of our timing. It is the Lord's discipline. It is his action. We don't control when it starts. We don't control the timing. We don't control the severity of it or the duration of that discipline. And so that gets to the source of our despising. We can't end the Lord's discipline. He must do the work. He must decide when it is and often is at the worst possible times for us. But it is the Lord's discipline. And so what he calls us to do is to submit ourselves under it, to say his way is right. His way is just. His way is wise. His way is loving. His way is from his heart. And it's problematic because it inflicts pain. This discipline inflicts pain. We read it in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, no discipline is pleasant at the time, but rather painful. God's discipline inflicts pain on his children. And if we think through how God disciplines us, there's what Scripture has to say, there's lots of different ways. Uh, It can start with just reading through God's Word. God's Word is living and active. God's Word is breathed out by Him, useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and instructing. There are times that when we humbly approach God's Word, it is a painful gaze as we see what God says about our lives is convicting, inflicts that pain, or it inflicts the pain knowing that our lives will not be full of peace and prosperity and ease the way we want, that we will have to give up things that we do not want to give up. It can be painful. And along with that, the Lord gives us our conscience, which convicts us, brings to mind his word, and when it's trained properly, will convict us and, and, and tell us where we are in error. But Scripture also is clear that God disciplines his children through providence, through his workings in the midst of his creation. Galatians says, do not be deceived. A man reaps what he sows. Man reaps what he sows. And so when we walk in a way that is not pleasing to him, not wise, not in accordance with his commands, there, is, there are times where God leaves us to our own devices, lets us endure the fruit of our foolishness and our disobedience. He never gives us what we truly deserve. But as an act of loving discipline, sometimes he lets us bear out the natural consequences. But just because that's the case doesn't mean that every case that we're disciplined is a result of our foolishness. Sometimes God just does it to test his handiwork, to test the, the work that he is doing in our lives. Consider the man Job. And if we think about Job and all that he endured, it's very instructive to us as far as how the Lord handles his children. Because Job was a righteous man, blameless, Scripture says. The Lord, out of his own mouth, said, Job, have you considered my servant Job? He is blameless and upright. And yet, 
he was accused of being not blameless and upright. And so the Lord said, fine, put him to the test. And the Lord allowed Job to lose all of his stuff, all of his kids. His wife turned on him. He lost his health. And in the midst of all that, Job was asking, why, Lord? Why, why have you put me through this? And it was to test him, to test that his faith was genuine. And we read this in, in Hebrews chapter 12, that there are, there are times where God, uh, the writer of Hebrews is, is, is speaking in the book of Hebrews about endurance in the midst of suffering. And he, in chapter 12, he connects that suffering and the call to endurance with discipline. He says, the Lord is disciplining you. He's training you. He's working his righteousness in you. And Peter says something similar. He says that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is greater than gold, may be proved to bring God glory. God works his, uh, his discipline sometimes through providence, but he also works it through the, the human authority figures that we have. I mean, kids, you know that your parents have disciplined you for things that you have done that was in disobedience to what they uh, asked you to do. That is a form of how the Lord executes his discipline for his children. He disciplines through parents. He disciplines through governmental authorities. Paul says that would you desire to not be in fear of the one who bears the sword, then do what is right. And he disciplines through church authorities. But what we have to see is that in all these cases, all these cases that the Lord disciplines, it is the Lord who is disciplining. It is the Lord who is caring for his kids. Not a single person can lay a hand on you, beloved, apart from your heavenly Father. Jesus made that very clear. Not a hair from your head will fall to the ground. And so whatever discipline you might endure from whatever means, you have to see that it's coming from the hand of your heavenly Father. It happens in accordance with his say-so. And he does it through these painful circumstances. And, and, and Lewis said this, he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience, but he shouts in the midst of our pains. So what is he shouting? What, why, would, why would he shout in the midst of these pains? Well, I think there's a few things that Scripture tells us that God is doing in the midst of his discipline, why he puts us through this. Um, the first is he desires to restore us in the midst of our sin. Sin is a wandering away from our Heavenly Father, doing our own thing, putting ourselves in harm's way, and God would reclaim us. And, some, and sin hardens our heart so that we stop listening. The pain of discipline tenderizes our hearts so that we would hear our Father's teaching. We would come back to him. Uh, Puritan Richard Baxter said, suffering so unbolts the door of the heart that the word has easier entrance. Become willing to listen. Another Puritan said that when affliction comes, then we are ready to listen to the indictments of sin the checks of conscience and the reproofs of God, and we become ready to humble ourselves under them. And then we come to our, our God, and we're able to pray 
A prayer in Psalm 139, 139, Lord, search me and try me and see if there's any offensive way in me. What have I done, Father? It makes us humble. It drives us back to our Father. Uh, Second thing is it causes us to wake up from our sloth or our slumber or our lack of concern for God, which are sins in and of themselves, but more general. Um, the, the passage that we did for our law passage from Revelation chapter 3. That is, in, Jesus said that as he was speaking to the church of Laodicea, a church that was known for being lukewarm, who had capitulated to the culture around them and had become nothing. And Jesus says, be something. Let the sting of my rebuke wake you up. Be alive. You need to listen. Be either either hot or cold. Feel the passion of your heavenly Father. Pain can be a megaphone in the midst of our dulled world. Third reason is um, it's a means that God blesses us. And this is something that I don't think we talk about nearly enough. We've talked about it a little bit in our, our study in Proverbs, but God repeatedly in Scripture promises to bless his people, but God enters into a special form of a relationship called covenant. He blesses covenantally, meaning this. God uh, says, I will be your God. You will be my people. This is how you must live. If you do these things, you will be blessed. If you fail, you will be cursed. So his blessings are covenantal. We saw that in Proverbs where we saw over and over again this this, this entreaty from wisdom where wisdom would say, if you do this, you will have this blessing, if not. Or what we uh, talked about from Galatians where he says, a man will reap what he sows. And so this discipline, God desires to bless you. God desires to give you his good blessings but he does it covenantally. And so what he does is he disciplines you to bring you into obedience, to conform you to his will so that he can lavish his blessing upon you. So he can pour blessing upon blessing. It's not just to reclaim you, but also to bless you. But fourth, it's because he's preparing us for himself. He's fitting us for heaven. He's striving to make us holy. This this aspect of obedience is, another term for it, is a pursuit of holiness. And Scripture is clear that we must strive for holiness because without holiness, no one will see the Lord. And so as he conforms us to his will, as he teaches us obedience, as he disciplines us in that regard, he's allowing us to become partakers of his holiness in this life, but he's also developing for us a sweetness of heaven and glory forever and ever. So we can say, how long, Lord? How long until I'm in your presence? How long until I don't have to endure this anymore? So, beloved, if, if we consider those four, so those four different reasons, we could summarize them all under this one umbrella. And that's this, is that your Heavenly Father 
disciplines you to draw you close to himself to, so that he can draw near to you for greater fellowship and intimacy and love and blessing. It is evidence of his love. That's what he says. He, he disciplines those whom he loves and a father, the son whom he delights. It's what one author called a severe mercy, one that we don't want. But an absence of it would indicate rejection. Like uh, the writer of Hebrews said, if we didn't have discipline, we would be illegitimate children. It would be evidence that God doesn't care. But our response, obviously, is often to complain. And we're in good company when we complain. (laughs) Uh, Job, when he was enduring everything, he said this. He says, what is man that you make so much of him and that you have set your heart on him, visit him every morning and test him every moment. How long will you not look away from me nor leave me alone till I swallow my spit? If I sin, what do I do to you, you watcher of mankind? Why have you made me your mark? Why have I become a burden to you? Beloved, if you've ever felt that way, like the Lord had his eye on you and he was relentless, and getting at your heart, and you say, what have I done? Why have I become a burden? And what you need to hear is your father say, beloved, you are not a burden to me. I love you. I love you, and I desire greater fellowship with you. I desire your holiness so that you can be with me. I desire to bless you with blessings untold. It is a sign of our sonship. And notice, beloved, it is a sign of God's intimate favor because God himself, the almighty God of the universe, is condescending to take notice of you. Individual you, paying attention to your heart, the things that have captured your heart other than him, the snares that you're walking into, He sees you. He loves you. But when we complain, we're asking God, hey, don't take me so seriously. (laughs) I'm not worth it. I I just don't want the pain. And in fact, you know, C.S. Lewis said, he said, when we complain of our sufferings, we're not asking for more love. We're asking for less love. Less love. Because we're asking God to leave it, just leave me alone. Leave me alone. But beloved, our God will not leave us alone because we are his children and he loves us. And this is true, beloved. What we can never forget is that this is true because of his son, Jesus Christ, and his perfect love for us. He sent his son, perfect and holy and never needing anything other than he was perfectly obedient And yet, what what did we just read from Isaiah chapter 53? Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Jesus Christ came not ever sinning, not ever needing to be woken up, not being anything but perfectly holy, and yet he willingly went to the cross. And God's wrath was poured out on him in a punitive, satisfactory manner. 
so that you could be children of God. And so that when God disciplines you, it is not out of wrath or hatred or anger or ultimate punishment, but rescue and and reclaiming you out of his pure joy and delight for you. In Christ Jesus, you are adopted. You are his You are truly his children forever and ever. And one one father of the faith said that um, the Lord Jesus Christ, he drank deep of the cup of God's wrath, and yet there is still a little wormwood left in that cup for you and I to drink. The difference is that when Christ drank the cup of God's wrath, it was satisfactory. It was satisfaction for our sins. God poured out his wrath on him so that he wouldn't pour it on you. But when we drink that wormwood, it is rescue and restoration. So considering all these things, beloved, just two points of application I think we want to uh, draw out. The first ought to be our response to discipline. Um, Perhaps recently or currently you have endured painful circumstances which you've wondered, am I being disciplined by the Lord and or why am I having to deal with this? Uh, Have you detected in your heart a complaining or hard, complaining spirit or a hard-hearted response? Repent of that. See your Father's tender care for you. See his loving work of reclaiming you. And repent of your hard-heartedness. Return to him, is what he says. He says, return to me. Submit to his loving hand and trust in his wise purposes and methods. And sometimes we might say, well, you know, Lord, just, just show mercy Show me mercy, be tender with me. But Lewis also said this, he says, the more that we believe that God hurts only to heal, the less we can believe that there is any use in begging for tenderness. Suppose you're up against a surgeon whose intentions are wholly good. The kinder and more conscientious he is, the more relentless and unstoppable will be his cutting. If he yielded to your entreaties, if he stopped before the operation was complete, all the pain up to that point would have been useless. So trust in the Lord with all your heart that what he is doing in your life is heart surgery. He's fitting you for himself. He's making you like his son, Jesus Christ. And rejoice with thankfulness that he's drawing you near and eager to bless you now and preparing you for glory with himself. The second point of application is some of us have had the privilege and the responsibility of being in positions of authority. Many of us are parents. Some of us are, have served as government officials or church authorities. Use your authority for God's glory. And don't shy away from exercising that authority as though it is unpleasant or mean. God works through human authorities to exercise his 
discipline. Be diligent in it. No discipline is pleasant at the time, either for the one receiving or the one giving discipline. But our hope is that in the end it will yield a harvest of righteousness. And so exercise that authority with diligence. Puritan Samuel Bolton said this about um, God's work of discipline. He says, when God chastens his people for sin, his chastisements are not the fruits of wrath or parts of the curse, for there is no wrath in them. They are not satisfaction for sin. They are not sent in vindictive justice. They are not merely penal, but medicinal. And the reason is displeased love and their purpose is fuller embraces. Beloved, do you believe that? Do you believe that your God desires to give you fuller embraces? That he loves you enough to discipline you diligently. This is true because of our Savior Jesus Christ who was punished under God's wrath so that you could be disciplined for his glory. So you could be children, beneficiaries of his enduring and affectionate love. Beloved, your Father will chasten you to bring you near so that you would share in his holiness now and the blessedness of his presence forever and ever. Let's pray together. Father, at times it seems too good to be true that you, sovereign over all things, you who cause each blade of grass to grow and cause our hearts to beat that you would take notice of us, that you would have that mind for us, that you would care for us that intimately and uniquely. And yet, Father, your word is true and we trust it. So help us to walk in trust and walk in love. Help us to trust in Christ's sacrifice on our behalf that has brought us into your family and help us to yield to your loving hand that we might give you glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Beloved, our